Uh, for those who haven't met yet, my name is Dennis. I'm curate here at Christchurch. We are now well into Lent, exploring the theme of welcome through the stories from the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we followed um, two characters as they encounter Jesus, one who is a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier in charge of many, and uh, he's got a sick servant, uh, and then another who is a widow who's just lost her son. And in both cases, we see Jesus, uh, one in, in the first one, respond to the centurion's cry for help, come heal my servant, and in the second one, he um, has compassion on the lady as she weeps the death of her son. He heals the centurion's servant from a distance. He heals the woman's son up close. The centurion called for him. He just noticed the widow. One miracle by proximity at a request. Another one up close and intimate just as a result of deep compassion. Two characters, two different ways that God, Jesus, approaches them. This week's story begins at a uh, dinner party, and um, Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee. Now, if you've been following the story through Luke, the Pharisees are those who understood the scriptures and um, could not really get this Jesus guy claiming to be the anointed one, the one, the Messiah, the one who God had promised to send. So at every opportunity, they took the chance to give him a bit of a grilling um, to just try and catch him out. We don't know whether that was the, uh, the, the hope of this Pharisee, to catch him out. What we do know is they weren't, they weren't particularly on good terms. Jesus always had something to say about Pharisees, which I'm sure made the people who were gathered around chuckle a little bit. Um, so when this Pharisee invites Jesus for dinner, Jesus doesn't say no. He rocks up. And uh, our first verse, we find Jesus already there. He's sat down. He's reclined at the table. Desserts probably come. Uh, not dessert, what do you call it? Starters. They probably come. Everybody's there. They're eating. And um, he has reclined. Now, in my head, I tried to work out how the woman would stand behind Jesus and then her tears fall on his feet. And I, I realized I was thinking like a European with my chair and my tables. But actually, they probably would have leant on something with the table in front of them. So she could have stood behind him and wept. But that's further in the story. It's just to give a picture of what this dinner party was like. It's quite a relaxed affair. So they're sitting, having a chat. Jesus probably didn't bring his come dine with me scorecards. But the party was in full swing. Second verse, a woman identified as one who had lived a sinful life. One who had lived a sinful life. That was her label. One who had lived a sinful life. She comes into this party. And somehow, in the house of this Pharisee, this teacher of the Lord, this holy man, with Jesus, the famous preacher, present, she manages to find her way up close and personal to the guest of honor. Now, in my head, I'm wondering, was this a private dinner party? How did she get there? Were there, were there people watching? Now, I don't know whether Jesus asked for the people to come and surround the table. So I can't talk about the Pharisee being a showman. But you can imagine that this wasn't 
This wasn't as quiet an event, maybe, as it, it would appear on first looking. But she would have come in through um, the main doors and probably had to walk past people who knew her reputation to come and find herself just behind where Jesus was. She gets close. She gets really close. She's clutching onto her jar. But there's something about this Jesus. We're not given much in the text. But what we know is, standing next to him, something happens to her. I don't think she wrote in her to-do list that morning, sneak into Pharisee's house, check. Um, Stand beside Jesus, check. Um, Cry, check. Make sure tears fall on his feet, check. I don't think she did that. I don't think it was in her plan to do that. She probably had a plan to bless Jesus with the oil that she'd carried. But actually, there was something about being around this man, something about him, I don't know, maybe it was how when everybody else sort of shook their heads and and kissed their teeth when she walked in, he just looked at her and smiled and did not judge her. Maybe it was, uh, I don't know, he didn't, you know, he probably noticed her behind him and didn't kind of squirm like everybody else did. I don't know what it is, but something stirred within her enough that would bring those tears. You know those tears you don't notice? They've got a different texture. You don't notice. They just drop. They're like, oh my God, I'm crying. You know, something stirred in her, in her heart that led her to that point. You can imagine having gathered the strength to come to this man's house, having um, sort of wiggled her way to where Jesus was with her nice little jar, um, suddenly to see your tears drop onto this very important man's feet. How embarrassing would that be? It must have just been, it must have been tough. It must have been, I don't know. I once um, went to a, um, uh, the funeral of uh, the mother of a very good friend of mine. I'm godfather to his, his first son. And uh, after the burial, we went to a hall where they had food laid out and everything. So we sat and we were eating. And I just finished my plate. You know, I eat big portions. My mom cooks loads. I have big brothers. You gotta eat. Otherwise, you don't get any seconds. So you rush, you get your seconds. So I'd finished my portions, and um, I looked to the right, and playing just to the side there was my godson. Now, he was looking dashing that day, but his bow tie had got wonky. So I thought, ah, you gotta look sharp. Let me go and just rectify his bow tie. I walk up to where he is. Now, at that time, he was yay high, so I had to bend to rectify his bow tie. As soon as I bent down to rectify his bow tie, I just heard the sound most men hear fear. (laughs) And my trousers ripped all the way from the back, down the seam, all the way down there. I stood up so quickly, upright. I'd never had posture like this before. I did not even fix his bow tie. I was so embarrassed. Lucky for me, there was no one behind me. Otherwise, it had just been the end because my, my, my mother-in-law had bought me very colorful boxes. And, the, <laughs> and <laughs> you got to wear them, otherwise they just go to waste. So this was a very bright day. And 
it would have just been so difficult to explain. So I, I, in my sort of embarrassment, I kind of was thinking what to do, and I slowly snuck back to where my chair was, just lifted my coat, which is quite long, and put my coat on. When they asked me why I'd put my coat on, I lied. <laughs> I said to them, I just realized I need to get somewhere today. Um, something's come up that I need to, to leave. It's a shameful lie, but I was embarrassed. And I said my condolences to the family, and I got into the car. I had a spare pair of trousers in the car, because I used to work with children. You never know what you're going to get with children, but they were yellow, so there was no chance I was, <laughs> no chance I was going to go back. <laughs> no chance. Embarrassment. You know, those things, when they happen, you try and fix them as soon as you can. That moment was one of my most embarrassing moments, but it wasn't the most embarrassing moment. The most embarrassing moment came this, when I came here to Christchurch last year. I went to Clifton Gardens residential home to give communion, uh, by extension, and um, I spilled all the wine on the first communicant on a cardigan that she really loved. You can't fix that. You can't run away. But the shame was there. Where are the tissues? Where are the tissues? There are no tissues. I forgot to carry some. It was my first time. I can imagine this poor woman. She wouldn't, she wouldn't know... In my head, I see her not knowing how to respond to this circumstance now. She's emotionally in a space where she's weeping. Her tears have just fallen on Jesus' feet. She's probably tried to catch them before they get there. It's like, ah, trying to catch them. She's gone down and tried to wipe them with her hands, maybe, you know, in a bit of a flurry. Where are the tissues? No tissues. It's back in the day, these cloths. And she, you know, she could have easily got her dress, but I, I don't think she's in, in my head. She's not in the, in the rational space. And then as she notices the smudges, and she doesn't know what to do, just grabs a lock of her hair, begins to wipe his feet. And then she, she, it just starts to tweak in her head. His feet are still here. Jesus hasn't recoiled his feet and pull them back. The dynamic changes. No longer in the space of shame. She's in the space of acceptance. Something's happening here. So she continues to dry his feet. And somehow she begins to understand the urge in her I imagine the urge in her to bring that perfume with her. She just picks it up, probably from where she just placed it in a rush, and anoints Jesus' feet. It's the first time, possibly, a man hasn't called her one who was known, who had lived a sinful life, hasn't tried to pay her for her body, has just accepted her for who she is. Meanwhile, Simon, our Pharisee, reclining as well on the table somewhere there, is looking on. 
And his mind is going, surely Jesus knows. Surely he must know. He must know this woman's reputation. Surely Jesus knows. He knows who she is. Surely. He knows that being touched by someone like that makes you unclean. Surely he knows. He must know. If he doesn't know, then he's not as special as people think because they're, they're likening him to Elijah and Moses. These guys would have spotted this lady from a mile away. They'd have spotted her from a mile away. He, he, he can't be as special as they say. He can't be a prophet. He's thinking in his head. And then Jesus interrupts. I love some. There are some people who know when you're about to say something or are thinking something and interrupt you. Um, I love much of the day on a, on a Saturday evening. But when I start to scroll down the, 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 the recorded list, my wife knows where I'm going. She knows. And she'll interject and go, should we watch? Blah, blah, blah. Insert show that I might not enjoy as much as much of the day. Now, she knew what I was thinking, but it's obvious also from there. The interruption comes in and I go, ah, because I did vow to love her and spend time with her. So let's do that practically. I, I suspect Simon here has his thought process interrupted because he's, he's trying to work this out. Simon, let me tell you something. I have something to tell you. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. Go on then, Jesus. Jesus is like, here's a story about two people, one who owed about two years' wages and one who owed about two months' wages to the same guy, and they both get forgiven all their debts. Which one of them do you think loves the uh, creditor more? Simon's like, hmm, this guy and his stories, he always has these tests for us. Easy peasy. Jesus, it's the one who had the bigger debt. Jesus is like, yeah, Simon, you're right, okay, you're right. Simon's like, mm -hmm, of course, I'm right. Then Jesus does something which changes uh, the, the conversation. He turns and faces the woman. I can imagine Simon going, oh, he probably heard what I thought to myself. Because Jesus gets up, faces the woman. He says, what does he say there? Very candidly, Simon, I came to your house. You invited me for dinner. I walked in through the door. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't kiss me, which is a thing then. You know, the actual thing, you'd kiss each other, say hello. You didn't kiss me. You did not anoint my, my feet. You did not anoint my head. You did not recognize who I was. But this woman here, she hasn't stopped since she came here, since I was here. She hasn't stopped doing the things that a good host should be doing. She has wept and wet my feet with her tears. She's dried it with her hair. and She has anointed me with oil. Which one of you do you think understands what forgiveness means for them? Which one of you understands that? I can imagine Simon just sitting there thinking, mm, messed up here. Is Jesus going to get up and leave now? This would be very awkward for me at work tomorrow. If he rejects me publicly, my reputation is like, what's Jesus going to do? Still facing the woman, um, Jesus 
just speaks the words of forgiveness over her. Um, and I can imagine for her, she receives dignity. Um, she gets a new reputation. She's no longer the sinful woman who lived a sinful life. She's the one whom Jesus forgave. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I can imagine a kind of they're feeling a bit awkward because one, Jesus is looking directly at her. Two, Jesus has just kind of equated her and elevated her to a place where a Pharisee cannot look down on her, not knowing what to do. And Jesus gives her the peace to go, say, go in peace. She gets up and she leaves. The story doesn't tell us what Jesus does next, but I anticipate they'd only started. It was just the starters. (laughs) So he just gently reclines back into his chair, maybe pours some wine, breaks a bit of bread, shares it with Simon, and they have the first of Simon's honest conversations. The first. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. These are the two brief things to notice, I think. The first is, and it's in keeping with our theme of welcome, there's only really one host at this table. There's only really one, and that's Jesus. Um, Simon has sought him out with his mind, but actually Simon's heart needed to be hosted by Jesus. I anticipate Simon really got the full experience of being hosted by Jesus after this scene ends. This lady is hosted by Jesus also. It is him who welcomes her into that place of depth, that place of intimacy with God, where it is honest, where it is real, where there is healing, where there is a newfound identity, where there's a newfound dignity where you're not judged by others, but are welcomed and loved by the only person who can actually judge you. He's the real host. And for us, especially here, who share communion every Sunday, um, that is the place where that wine is poured and the bread is broken and the honest conversation from the heart to the heart begins. second is this, the forgiveness from the creditor is not dependent on the size of debt. He just, he doesn't go, oh, I'm going to forgive this person, but I won't forgive this person because their debt is greater. He just forgives. And it's one pill that destroys all the debt. And in that one move, Jesus equates the debts. So that the Pharisee and the woman who had lived the sinful life, both are in need of the same dose of forgiveness. Before the throne of God, all have fallen short. But the gift is greater than the trespass. The gift is greater than the trespass. And that's where our challenge for this morning comes. How much do we know of our need for forgiveness? Do we count our debt as small? Or do we count our debt as big? 
or do we think we don't have any debts? It is at the point of repentance where our hearts are moved, when it is silent and those tears start to drop. It is here where we meet the God who gets up, turns to us, dignifies us, forgives us, and gives us peace. Then if we need to go, he lets us go. But if we need to stay some more, he stays pouring out wine, breaking bread, healing us with his wounds. We pray this all the time, so I'm going to read it. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart, welcomed you with water, anointing and a kiss. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, looking down on those we have judged with human eyes. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Forgive us our debts. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, so that we may do justice, love mercy, love as greatly as we have been forgiven, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen.